Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Well, after a break for all things D23, we return to our 50th anniversary series where we see the Magic Kingdom as brand new Disney cast members learned about it back in 1971. Again, the setting is that Walt Disney World is about to open. You have thousands of new cast members most of whom have never seen a Disney theme park and you need to orient them to that experience. The only problem is that the park isn't open or ready yet either. So how do you give them that understanding? Well, enter a series of handbooks put out by the University of Walt Disney World. In these materials, cast members were introduced to the setting in which they would work. There is one for each of the lands of the park plus the resort. In this podcast, we'll look at Liberty Square. What makes this land unique is not only did new cast members being hired on the East Coast have no idea what Liberty Square was all about, neither did people from Disneyland coming in from the West Coast. After all, this is the one land in the Magic Kingdom that had never been created for Disneyland in California. So we'll look at what attractions, shops, dining, and other features were available at this time. If you yearn for the Walt Disney World of yesteryear, or you want to know what these two lands were like back in the early days of the park, well, this is your podcast as we continue our efforts to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Again, we appreciate you joining us and we appreciate um you subscribing to this podcast and uh, if you get a chance and you like what you hear on this podcast make sure you put in a, a good rating for us or a good review if possible or or refer it to a friend all those things help to support the uh, the littlest podcast that could so to speak well any rate the fun thing about the liberty square handbook and i'll make a illustrate i'll show the illustration on disney at play.com so you can see this is the picture on the cover. They always had a picture, they always had the title, and they had kind of a character. In this case, we have kind of um, uh, almost a George Washington kind of looking guy on the cover. But the funny thing about the picture is that the picture isn't Liberty Square. It's actually a section of Main Street. And um, apparently people didn't know one from the other. That or Liberty Square was just simply way under um, under the gun in terms of being completed. That's what makes this kind of interesting is people were kind of struggling to figure out what this looks like. In fact, there are some pictures we'll show that kind of illustrate that it looked as if certain portions of this were t cut by the budget at the last minute and didn't make, um, you know, Liberty Square is like New Orleans Square. And what makes New Orleans Square so cool is you kind of wind back through there and you feel like you're kind of lost in the the experience of it. Not so much here. And I think that's partly because some of the buildings were actually cut out of the final project. We'll show you some models and some, um, some drawings. And you can see that it was kind of all over the board as to exactly what this thing was going to look like when it got done. So... Let's start with chapter one, Liberty Square. This is the part that overviews what this is supposed to be. 
As you cross Liberty Bridge, you enter a delightfully different America, colonial America at the time of our nation's founding. Relive the momentous era when the 13 colonies struggled for inter independence and great men worked together to form a great nation. Recapture the sights, sounds, tastes, and feel of our American heritage in Liberty Square. I guess there weren't great women working together too back then, but hey, this is 1971. This is how things were written, unfortunately. The buildings around you are reminiscent of many of the original colonies. It is Dutch New Amsterdam before it became New York. You actually get that around the Sleepy Hollow area. Look, the Williamsburg style is represented across the way. That you kind of see as you kind of go um, around the corner from Hall of Presidents. Farther into Liberty Square, the architecture assumes a New England character. That's where you kind of get to uh, Harbor House and Morimento, um, which wasn't back then, but, but the, the, the house, the, the, the shop that was back then at that time. And as you turn toward Frontierland, it is just like colonists moving west over the Appalachian Mountains, for the, begin, for the buildings are now rougher hewn replicas of the old Northwest Territory. Well, that's actually true as you get to the Country Bear Jamboree. In the portion that's Liberty Square, it, what you get, or is in the portion that you get toward uh, a Diamond Horseshoe, you get kind of a Missouri type feel. Here, the guests will approach one of the focal points of the area, Liberty Oak Tree. The original Liberty Tree was in Boston, located in Hanover Square. In 1765, a patriot made a speech standing under its branches, and it then became known as the Sons of Liberty. The patriots gathered at the Liberty Tree to comment and to protest the Stamp Act and other British measures, which they considered repressive. They also hung straw-stuffed effigies of British officials to the branches of the Liberty Tree. We're happy to say that there are no longer, for the sake of our British friends, uh, straw-stuffed effigies hanging from uh, the tree. There are 13 lanterns which hang from the Liberty Tree, representing the original 13 colonies. They do represent um, this 1765 speech and I believe and I have an illustration to show of this that I'll include as well in the um, in the uh, um, Disney at play what's interesting about this is that um, this image uh, shows the tree was like a hundred years old at the time this speech, nearly 100 years old, at the time this speech occurred, um, what's interesting about it is that um, apparently after the speech, uh, it was taken down by, it was cut down by the British. They were not happy with the idea of gathering around that old tree. Um, what's also interesting about this image that we'll show in the, um, again, Disney at play, is look at the building behind it and it looks very similar to the shops that you see that are now part of the um, Christmas uh, shop. Um, you see kind of um, an area enclosed, which is where the Liberty Tree is. That's not how it is at Liberty Square, but you see this area enclosed similar to where you see the sleigh that sits there in Liberty Square. It's kind of interesting how 
it um, they've kind of taken from this picture to create that little section of uh, retail stores at Liberty Square. Now, across the way, reading on, the Liberty Tree Tavern will provide excitement in dining in the atmosphere of a late 18th century New England inn. The entries range from shrimp, crab, and various other seafood dishes to sirloin steak topped with cheddar cheese. Um, the, each of the several rooms of the Liberty Tree Tavern is done in a decor reminiscent of that period, each with large, unique fireplace. The rooms are named after great men <clears throat> of early America, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Franklin, Jackson, and Madison. The Liberty Tree Tavern can accommodate approximately 240 guests. The kitchen is larger than most of the kitchens throughout the theme park, and the major preparations will be performed there. Just stop there. One of the reasons it's major because it also handles uh, the Diamond Horseshoe adjacent uh, to that restaurant. So that's one of the reasons why it's larger. And yeah, the rooms are still named after um, uh, great men of that era. Um, although I want to say one of them was changed for, and maybe maybe Madison was changed to Dolly Madison. I'm not sure. But at any rate, um, and of course, nothing nothing says dinner at Liberty Tree and then a sirloin steak topped with cheddar sauce. Ugh. I'm not sure about that. Nearby is Sleepy Hollow Refreshments, Ichabod Crane Proprietor. This beverage center will offer thirst-quenching soft drinks for thirsty guests. Um, and it ended up offering a whole lot more. It is a favorite little um, stop for a lot of folks who want to get uh, a little treat there. Occasionally, guests may even hear Liberty Square's town crier. This gentleman was the newspaper of the time. He carried a bell, like an oversized school handbell, to attract attention. Having thus gathered a crowd, he would read from a scroll various items of interest. So um, when I think of this town crier, I actually think of the one that they had connected with the Muppet Show that appeared off the windows of some of the retail buildings. But in the early days, they did have um, a group of people who came through. They, um, I don't remember the bell portion, but but they, they had... Um, uh, a fife and drum group that came by and they would select uh, a young man and young woman, uh, a boy or girl and girl to um, be kind of official, how did they put it, official colonists or whatever. And they each received a copy of the Declaration of Independence and their names were read out by the town crier. So he had kind of, he kind of read all these things off of his little scroll and um, he was the town crier. I don't remember the bell because they had the fife and drum, but but um, that did occur. Um, guests might also meet the great philosopher of that era, Benjamin Franklin, who would give out gems of Franklinian wisdom taken from poor Richard's almanac. Some of these Franklinian expressions are, well done is better than well said, fish and visitors stink after three days, Little strokes fell great oaks, great talks, great talkers, little doers, full of courtesy, full of craft. A brother may not be a friend, but a friend will always be a brother. 
So um, I don't, I can't say that I ever saw individuals representing Ben Franklin or other great patriots of the time. I just don't remember ever seeing that, but they may have tried that in the first year or two. What is more common, and I've seen images of, was, you know, the, the singers that we have known in American Adventure, they usually had four to six of those walking around, and they would just simply do um, choral pieces, patriotic ones usually, and they would just walk around. They would kind of alternate with the fife and drum group, and that really became the entertainment. But they're not mentioned here in this um, in this little piece. So, um, and by the time uh, Epcot opened, they then became Voices of Liberty, and it became a much bigger thing over at Epcot. Mille Antoinette's Perfumery. This perfume shop is one of four in the United States that allows ladies to blend fragrances fragrances of their choice. The shop features 750 blends, which make over 800 different scents. Guests purchasing perfume will be given an identification number so that they may reorder their personal fragrance by mail at a later date. Hostesses at Mille Lafayette's Perfumery will be given extensive education in perfumes and the art of perfumery. This is very much in keeping with the shop that was in New Orleans Square. In fact, you will see as we go through this that the shops in New Orleans Square just simply take on um, a similar kind of theme at Liberty Square, which was one of the very cool things about Liberty Square in the early days is these very unique shops. Um, the perfume shop was one of them and um, I believe it was part of what is now the Christmas shop. That was really three different shops. Um, and I think these three, the Silversmith, the Old World Antiques, and Lafayette's are all part of that piece. Um, the next one is Silversmith, Johnny Tremaine, proprietor. The Silversmith shop features items that were popular during the 1700s and specializes in decorative gifts and personal jewelry and pewter, stainless and sterling and actually if you go on ebay you can probably look for some of those pieces in pewter and so forth that are available there old world antiques this shop will display merchandise varying in price from five dollars to fifteen thousand it will specialize in authentic antiques plus reproductions obtained by disney buyers from around the world and indeed, um, this was very much like the uh, one-of-a-kind antique shop in New Orleans Square. All three of these shops um, were similar. Again, you don't find... There is a perfume shop in, in New Orleans, but that... Um, um, I think the, the business of blending your own perfumes has gone long ago from New Orleans as well as Liberty Square. Heritage House. The Heritage House will feature patriotic merchandise, mainly plates, plaques, and unique items designed to complement the Hall of Presidents. Now, this is the shop that's really outside the exit. You have to go back outside and then you go back inside. Right now it's being used as a guest relations shop. Uh, but it was, um, in the day, kind of I, one of the first really exit gift shops that was back in the day. So, um, certainly for the Magic Kingdom. Tri-cornered hat shop. This is this is a little piece that's very unknown. The tri-cornered hat shop will feature hats that were popular in colonial New England, 
plus an exhibit dedicated to the fashion of yesterday's gentleman wigs. This shop will also carry headgear of today for the guest's convenience. What they're talking about is a tiny shop that was to the very right of the diamond horseshoe, just before you got to the restroom area. There is still a window that has Goofy in it, and I believe he's wearing a bunch of different hats in it. So you can actually see where it's at. Whenever I see the doors open, it looks like it contains either custodial gear or it can, and or contains um, the um, posts and chains that are used, posts and ropes that are used for the three o'clock parade. But um, but yeah, the the tricornered hat shop has gone long ago. The Diamond Horseshoe Review. This replica of the Old West Saloon will feature a Western comedy stage show, complete with singing waitresses. Guests will be able to purchase soft drinks and cold sandwiches while watching the show. However, they are not obligated to do so. This saloon will help guests relive the West as it was a century ago. Filled with Western reproductions, Texas Longhorns, and an ornate horseshoe-shaped bar, the Diamond Horseshoe is a breath of fun-filled Western humor. So, the Western Comedy Show, it was actually um, the Diamond Horseshoe Review, very similar to the Golden Horseshoe Review for many, for the first number of years. I want to say the first 15, maybe even 20 years, that it was pretty much a parallel of the Diamond Horseshoe. Wally Bo came out in the first um, months to kind of get it going. Um, I knew another friend of mine who took Wally's place, uh, Mike Strickland, and that show, the the food, I never ate here during that time. Or well, I may have seen this. I don't think I saw, I don't, I don't remember if I saw the show. But if the food was anything like the Golden Horseshoe, well, first of all, know that Pepsi products were on that side. So if you listen to the original Country Bear Jamboree, you would see that it was sponsored by Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay. And they were the original sponsors. And they were also the sponsors of the Mile Long Bar that we talked about in the Frontierland um, handbook that we talked about a few weeks ago. Generally speaking, they serve Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay products, Frito chips um, in that restaurant. They also, if you ordered the sandwich, it would be like a meat and cheese, and it would be between two ordinary slices of white bread, and then it would be put in one of those little plastic wrapper, not plastic, I'm sorry, wax paper wrapper kind of pieces. It was it was not an impressive meal. They're making a lot more money off of the meals they serve these days than they did back then. Unfortunately, we don't have the show, and that's that's the disappointing part. Admiral Joe Fowler, this 5.8 scale model of a typical 19th century stern wheel riverboat will travel the rivers of America past a burning settler's cabin, a friendly Indian village, and a forest filled with wild game. The steamboat itself was constructed at the Morgan Yacht Company in St. Petersburg, Florida, and assembled at our Walt Disney World dry dock. It is constructed of fiberglass and wood, and it is steam-powered. The paddle wheel can move the boat forward and in reverse. The heat needed to create the steam is generated by diesel tubes 
in the boiler. The boat has three decks. The main deck, the promenade deck, and the Texas deck. Didn't know that those were titles. Hmm, that's interesting. The promenade deck, center deck, features a small stage where entertainment groups can perform while on an adventure around the river. The river boat landing is unique in that the guests will disembark from the lower deck as guests board to the center deck. So yeah, I did forget this band. It was kind of like straw hatters. They basically look more like a roaring 20s type jazz band. They were largely that. It was a small brass band that played and they wore straw hats and striped um, coats. And I think they were part of the Walt Disney World band. Usually the Walt Disney World band would go down the street and play concerts in the morning in town square. And then they would all split up and do different things in the afternoon. And this was one of those things. Keystone Cops was another one of those things. And they would perform on the promenade of that, of that uh, ship as it went through. Um, at this time, there was only one boat. A second boat would be added on. The Columbia was intended to be added, uh, which is a sailing ship that never did get added in. Lots of different reasons I hear for that. One of which was um, um, one of which had to do with with um, I don't know I don't know what a reason I, I'm not even going to conjecture on that but notwithstanding the Columbia never came which would have looked better in Liberty Square than a steamboat the difference between the two steamboats largely was one was a single stack and one was a double stack and early illustrations showed both of them at the time. Um, so, and then the old Mark Twain at Disneyland, yeah, you, the level you got on was the level you got off. So they found this to be a really cool thing to create this double level to kind of move guests in and off the boat a lot faster. And it is a, a kind of clever and a distinction. The riverboat landing too is a much nicer looking building than the one at Disneyland. It, it's more of a centerpiece, um, kind of drawing you in especially when the boat isn't currently at the landing. It does say the riverboat landing is... you. Oh, wait, I've already read that. So let's go on to the Haunted Mansion. Ah, that is... That is the big one of the big attractions here. The Haunted Mansion will provide active retirement for restless spirits. This happy haunting ground will come equipped with wall-to-wall -wall running chills. A Hudson River Valley Dutch Mansion with its architecture dating back to the 1700s it is new home for the 999 of the world's happiest ghosts ghouls and goblins so for those who have quoted for years it is based on hudson river somebody corrected it i heard on some podcast recently and said oh no you would never have um what is on the edge of the queue which is sort of that seawall so this must represent a mansion that sat on the ocean because of the seawall off of the queue. Well, they did put in a sort of seawall, but that does not make it, um, that does not change the nature of it. This is probably the most accurate thing by saying it was a Hudson River Valley Dutch mansion. Ten years of research have been put into the mansion along with a collection of supernatural, occult, psychic, and historical spirits ranging from the Egyptian and Roman to Napoleonic and Dickens eras. And we should say a new doom, a new hatless 
Hatbox Ghost coming uh, in the months to come, which is a very cool animatronic out of Disneyland and was originally part of the Disneyland uh, attraction, but it didn't work and they took it out after a month or two and couldn't figure out how to fix it. So it never got to Walt Disney World. So now it's finally coming. Your fearful trip through the mansion is made by means of two passenger carriages or doom buggies. The buggies will travel parallel to a moving belt sidewalk so that the loading and its unloading is done without stopping. Each carriage will have its own ghost host narrator and travel past cobwebbed hallways, singing marble bus, floating mummies, headless knights, and bang hounds. Well, there we go. Hall of Presidents. The Hall of Presidents symbolizes Liberty Square. This stirring show pays tribute to the 37 presidents of the United States. I think we're on 51 right now. Um, and by the way, this was a very unique attraction because the only thing pre preceding this, now there was an idea of having a Liberty type square at Disneyland at one point, but it never got built. There was an idea of doing a Hall of Presidents. The only thing that got established was great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And we'll see he's part of this show here. But um, it goes on to say, featuring life-size audio animatronic figures of every chief executive, this will be a memorable experience for all. The primary speaker at this gathering is Abraham Lincoln, who presents um, a message as applicable today as it was years ago. And guests will be moved by the realism of the gestures during the president's roll call. We have attempted, as we do in all our attractions, to be as authentic in set and costuming detail as possible. Valentine Hurwas and his partner, Schlachau, and I apologize, it's S-C-H-L-A-C-O-U, so I apologize for the pronunciation, who were doing costumes for Rudolph Valentino and Charlie Chaplin have tailored these authentic costumes for the American presidents from George Washington to Richard Nixon. They have not just made suits, but have reproduced in every seam and stitch the apparel worn by each president in his own time. Their showroom was crowded with pictorial reference books, artist drawings, stacks of woolen and laces, and mannequins matching exactly the dimensions of each chief executive. The wigs were handcrafted by experts in Guatemala, and the antique furniture in the hall is authentic. So um, that is true. And I do believe it's, I, I don't have any um, text to this, but I have an image that shows two gentlemen working on it. I believe it is these two gentlemen that they are referencing. So take a look at that at disneyandplay.com. Finally, the, the last chapter is about the Liberty Square stage, which is the ground level area. And we've talked about that. And that area goes from Peter Pan's flight under Hall of Presidents, then across the way to the Diamond, to the Liberty Inn, the Diamond Horseshoe, and then over to Adventureland and Frontierland. Now, what's not written here was written in the Frontierland handbook was the Mike Fink Keel boats, which is, it's just a little strange not to have it included here. But, um, but, but the dock was adjacent to the Haunted Mansion in the original years, and it was much later moved over to Frontierland to uh, address 
a lot of the challenges with long lines at the Haunted Mansion, the amount of traffic coming in between Liberty Square and Fantasyland. Um, also, I think it has been mentioned by other Imagineers that the, the concept when you move from Fantasyland to Liberty Square, you, you move from sort of a medieval old world time to a new world time. We're going to talk about that in another podcast upcoming where we're going to talk about great park transitions between lands. But what I should mention before we close here is the one thing that is not mentioned, and that is the Columbia Harbor House, which was, I think, called the uh, New Tucket Harbor House originally or whatever, but it did not open. It, it's framed, it was framed out on the exterior, but the interior had not been completed and taken care of, and it wasn't until the following year in 72 that it actually opened to guests um, with its various rooms and completed that. So that was kind of missing in action at that time. There is also a Liberty Square Market, which is not referenced here, but it was kind of, there was always this open square market. Again, look at the images and the diagrams that we show in this, but you'll see that, that some of the sketches showed this kind of, um, well, it is where the Liberty Square Market is today, but that section was actually utilized for some time as uh, a queue, a backup queue area for the Hall of Presidents. You'll see how the, the roof line kind of continues all the way to the entrance of the Hall of Presidents. And that's really where they were handling um, overflow of queues during that time period, if you can imagine. Uh, being backed up for the next Hall of Presidents show, but that's how it was back then. And that eventually becomes a market, but it was a much more innate um, looking building with kind of a roof. It kind of is more reminiscent of the Owlry that happens in uh, Harry Potter's um, and the Islands of Adventure uh, land that Harry Potter has. So it was a, a much more ornate thing. And then other buildings may have also been a part of that. The seating area looks like it may have, the seating area for what is the Liberty Square Market, looks like it may have had buildings as well during that time. Again, I'll show you images of that. It's all confusing as to just what was there at that time uh, during that period, or what was intended at least. But that gives you an idea of Liberty Square and uh, and its unique uh, role in the opening of Walt Disney World, a land that was not, not found at Disneyland and was a first and only. It is the only, it is a land that does not exist in any other um, Disney park anywhere in the world. Well, that concludes this Disney at Play podcast. Thanks for joining us. Again, just a reminder, please, if you could, subscribe, share with others, give a good rating and review if you have a chance, and, um, and continue to join us. Also, take a look at DisneyAtPlay.com where you can not only subscribe there, but you can also become a member of the... Uh, Wayfinder Society, which is our uh, Patreon group to help support this, uh, the littlest podcast that could. If you take a look, we'd appreciate it. 
um, they'll give you a sneak peek of all the things that we have to offer. Again, thanks for joining us and in the words of Sinbad's Storybook Voyage at Tokyo Disney Sea. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>